Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I am your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to look at a good question. And it's a very big question that a lot of people have. And it's a very, very important question to know the answer to. And that is, what is the will of God? Now, some people can take this and put personal application to it and say, what is the will of God for my life? Which is understandable because we all have our own lives that we're living. But, you know, um, there is a general definition of God's will that I believe everyone's to fall in line with. And um, once we fall in line with these, you know, central tenets, if you will, of God's will, then, um, you know, walking out his purpose for your life is really what people mean when they say, what's God's will for my life? More so asking, what is my purpose here for God in my life? So um, I believe God gives us all gifts, you know, certain gifts of teaching, um, certain gifts of preaching, certain gifts of different areas um a gift of music it can be a gift of um being able to take care of people um there are many gifts god gives us and we see those gifts operating all around us in the world we see people you know using their voices for example sometimes to do things that are um (laughs) you know their own will we'll say and not god's will but ultimately i believe that god gives everyone gifts you know we have um a lot of uh music out there these days all music really if you look at our basic structure of music especially in the english language it's very poetic it all has you know certain Uh, You can call them bars, you can call them lines, but they all kind of rhyme, they go hand in hand, so that would be a gift I'd consider that God has given people. But um, ultimately, it comes down to using those gifts to fulfill God's will in your life. So when people say, what is the will of God, again, sometimes it can be a selfish thing and sort of looking at your own personal will, God's will for your life. But in a more broad sense, we're going to answer that question today. And um, we're going to jump all over in the Bible. There's so many, um, you know, and this will be our first look at the will of God. But there there are just so many different um, angles to sort of answer this question from. And there are just, um, you know, again, it's a very important thing, obviously, to know and to address. Um, But there's very basic, you know, um, ways to know what God's will is just right off the bat. Um, Immediately, we can say God's will is for everyone to know Jesus Christ and to be saved and to accept him as our Lord and Savior, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, that's really, I've said it before, that's sort of the starting point and the starting line of the rest of eternity for people that truly have a conversion, 
you know, repent, meaning turn away from their sin and start looking towards the Lord. And it's a very natural thing to want to know, all right, well, what's the will of God for my life? What's the rest? What is the will of God? And how do I fulfill these purposes and this whatever I'm called to for the Lord? How do I go about doing that? So this episode, uh, my intention is to try to answer and put some clarity to that uh question. So without any further ado, let's look at what the will of God is. Alrighty. And like I said, we are going to be all over um, because the will of God is um, just, you know, clarified, um, mentioned and spoken about throughout the Bible. Um, Again, the ultimate will of God is for everyone to accept his son at this point, uh, his son, Jesus Christ, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to basically surrender their lives to him so that we can be used for him, which that brings up what is his will for us. So I thought we would start at a pretty basic um, part of the Bible and look at the very first time God really declares who he is and what we should and shouldn't do. And that would be the 10 commandments. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, 
nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So there are the Ten Commandments, and what we are going to do, I want to go down and actually read the notes for the Ten Commandments because there is, um, you know, as basic as they can sound, there's also some background and some deeper deeper spiritual um, meaning to each one of them. So we will look at the notes now for Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. These ten words, the Ten Commandments, are absolute law, principles that are all-encompassing and allow for no exception. Jesus confirms their timeless application. See Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. God proclaims triumph for his people, not over them. I am the Lord your God. Identify the speaker with the one who performed the miracles of the Exodus event. God's character demands loyalty. The believer demonstrates loyalty by worshiping the one, only, true God. Israel was surrounded by peoples who worshipped images also called gods. Since no human effort could represent God adequately, God forbade creating any image of him either literally or conceptually. The Israelites, in this regard, became unique among their neighbors. Quickly stopping there, I mean, you can just, I won't even mention all the religions and all the ridiculous religious icons you see around us, but, um, you know, just not to pick on Catholicism, but I mean, you talk about just a false religion in every sense of the word that goes against so much of what God's word actually says. I mean, that religion in itself has so many false idols and <laughs> carved, great engraved images. It's ridiculous. I mean, be, besides for all the false theology, just right there itself. I mean, are you kidding me with all that stuff? Like, come on, just just stop. Please stop with that. Like, just open, please. The point, I guess my quick point would be this. Put your religion away, open the word of God, and get into a relationship with God. Forget about what you've been taught. Forget your tradition, because as you can see right here, God clearly says, do not make any carved images, nothing that you think is up in heaven, nothing on the earth, or nothing beneath the earth. Um I just, I, I long for people to get away from religion and get close to God through relationship. That's what God wants quickly. <laughs> We're talking about the will of God. Boom, right there. There's a major part of God's will, accepting his son so that you can have a relationship with him and begin to get to know him, the person, the living God who's not dead, who's not on a crucifix, who is not a little wafer that you take into your body in the abomination that that whole ceremony is. And, um, you know, just really, um, just open your Bible, forget your religion, forget your false theology, and apply what God says to your life. And quite simply, that's how you will find the will of God for your life. So continuing on here with the note for, again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, third and fourth generations. It was possible for four generations to live around the aged head of the family. Because of the close ties of a patriarchal family, the influence of the patriarch, good or evil, 
affected all generations under his control. The name of the Lord should not be misused, for his name and his character are inseparable. The name of God has been misused in magic, in substantiating truth through the use of oaths and in profane utterances. The third commandment deals not only with the use of God's name, but with controlling one's tongue as well. The Sabbath is to be a holy day set aside to God. The Hebrew word means to desist. One who is in a covenantal position with God is to stop the everyday activities of life and honor God with rest every seventh day. God had set the pattern in creation. Six days he worked. On the seventh day, he rested. Since the family is the key component to society, proper relationships must be maintained. Honor means to prize highly, to show respect, to glorify and exalt. Murder is an intentional, wanton taking of someone's life. This commandment is not speaking of accidental killing, wartime killing, or capital punishment, the latter two being essential. God-ordained sanctions of government in, administer, in administrating a fallen world. This commandment is aimed at the sanctity of human life in the eyes of God. Adultery covers any form of unfaithfulness. While aimed at maintaining the sexual sanctity and holiness of marriage, it also deals with the concept of a proper relationship with God and others. This purity also includes our thoughts. The positive side to this commandment is making sure that all you possess is gained through proper means. The ninth commandment calls one to be trustworthy and truthful. Covenant means desire or lust. It is not the wanting of something that is wrong, but wanting it at the expense of others or from a motive of jealousy or envy. So that's our quick look at, um, I just believe it is, you know, if we want to know the will of God, um, quite simply, a great starting point again is right there at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, where again, you can see God clearly outlines what his will is for our life. Um, and they're, they're just, you know, a set, a basic set of 10 rules. Now, look, when it comes down to like, for example, honor your father and your mother, look, if you have evil parents that are abusive, that are um, just not good people, not good examples, um, obviously we are not called to do evil things that people tell us, even if they are <laughs> within this relationship and within this structure that God has set as a family. Um, you know, ultimately if, if there's conflict with the word of God, for example, with what someone is telling you, then that is not God's will for you to go and do that because God would never lead us into dark or evil places. And nor should a good parent do that to their child. I mean, unfortunately, in the sick world we live in, I mean, I see stories here and there where you have parents, you know, having their children help them steal things from stores. And it's just utterly ridiculous and, and sickening, to be honest with you. It's a real um, statement of the sadness of which our society is kind of 
decaying and crumbling into. Um, you know, it goes hand in hand with our blatant disregard for the Ten Commandments, for example, and wanting Jesus and God, the Creator, out of everything and going and embracing every other thing that brings us to where we are in society today. You know, I mean, I can't even really, I, I could talk about that all day, but I won't. I want to get into Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50 next. And what it says here is, while he, Jesus, was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he, Jesus, stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we're going to look at that word will here, since we're looking at the will of God. Um, that word is thelema, and it means used objectively of that which is willed, designed, or desired, and subjectively of the emotion of being desirous. The word is used both of the human will and the divine will. And then that little passage there, the, the note here in my um, Spirit-Filled Life New King James Version Bible says, Jesus does not disclaim his family, but enlarges the circle to include spiritual relationships. So, I mean, we're coming up on Christmas, you know, the mother of Jesus, Mary, um, and his Jesus did have, um, you know, earthly brothers um, he had an earthly, we can call him a father as Joseph, more like a stepfather. And we will say he did have an earthly mother, but, um, you know, Jesus right here, basically he sort of does sever himself and cuts his tie in a certain sense, or like it says, it, he, he at least expands on the idea of his family and says, you know, again, um, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, you know, it's just another unique quality that Jesus had. He was just so amazing when he was here, the way he would just um, he had the perfect answer at all times for good reason, because he's perfect. He's our good, good, you know, savior, our Lord. Um, and, and he was just he just always had the perfect thing to say. He it was really remarkable that way, um, as is he always has the perfect will right now and the perfect guidance for our lives to this very minute, um, you know, and that's why it's so important to really um, lay hold of the the concept of the will of God. And, you know, again, that word will there is used in two different um, respects, both of the human will, the divine will, but also um that which is will designed or desired and subjectively of the emotion of being desirous. So we're going to get into some of the different, um, I guess, looks of what, you know, that, that will of God again is sort of saying and, and what, what is meant by, by the will of God. So 
We're going to flip over. We're going to stay in Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 18 and look at verses 12 to 14. And we will look at the words of Jesus. And he's talking here. This is uh, the parable of the lost sheep. Picking up at verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So looking at the notes there, the care and concern of a shepherd not only illustrate God's love, but serve as examples of the mutual care and nurture that we should practice. So, I mean, uh, we're getting on this, we're looking at this idea of the will of God. And again, what it comes down to, it's not all that, you know, we don't have to dig, thankfully, that deep to see what the will of God is. The will of God is that all should come to him and that none should perish. So, you know, as simple as that sounds, it is the biggest hurdle people can try to overcome in life because it is our battle of wills that we have with our flesh versus our spirit. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak and it's grabbing hold. That's why it's so important to make the conscious choice Every minute of every day to do God's will, not our will, not my will, your will be done. I mean, it's easy to say those words, but it's a lot different when you're trying to live that out. And I mean, I can say from experience, I mean, uh, you know, most recently I've had real decisions I've had to make for do I want to do my will or do I want to do God's will? I mean, do I want to go with my flesh or do I want to go with my spirit? And I'm thankfully at an age in my life where I can make that decision. I've had enough failures in my own life experience to know that my own will always leads to disappointment, emptiness, hurt, sorrow, pain, I recently had literally quite the decision to make. I had an opportunity to partake in some things of the flesh that, you know, frankly, most men and most uh, people these days would have jumped at the opportunity, but I know that's not God's will. And we're going to look here, but one thing in in a a few passages down the line is basically when you um, have the peace and the joy of the Lord One of the first things that is broken when you break out of the will of God and go with the flesh is that joy and peace leave. And that's a good thing because that means that um, that's an alarm, if you will. That that should be a, a blinking red warning sign to you saying this is not God's will. This is not what you should be doing. This is the flesh and this is gonna hurt you in the end. Um, you know, again, it just goes back to God's awesome divine love for us and the fact that he wants us all to serve him and to be fulfilled in life 
in his will. And, you know, again, we can dig deep and try to, you know, people, you know, theologists, you know, these ridiculous people, these, uh, you know, um, theologians, people with all these, you know, different degrees or, you know, um, you can have as many letters after your name as you want. But if you're not actually digging into the word of God and you don't just adhere to the very basic tenets of the Lord, then you're just another person who's loftily, you know, creating their own theologies and walking out their own wills and not really preaching and teaching the what the will of God is. And that's my goal here. And I really hope this helps. There's different points that we're going to make, but right here, one of the definite um, wills of God is for us to be watchful. And what that means is we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, verses 41 to 48. And it says, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So right there, one element of the will of God is us being watchful and being prepared and not living in the flesh, but living in the spirit, because let's look at the notes here, actually. So the notes here for 41 to 48, uh, that is Luke chapter 12. In response to Peter's question, Jesus teaches that watchfulness is especially required to those in leadership positions, greater privileges being greater temptations and greater responsibilities those who use their authority selfishly or unkindly will suffer severe punishment. The Lord indicates that at the judgment, there will be degrees both of punishments and rewards. So again, right there, I mean, that pretty much summarizes, but watchfulness is especially required of those in leadership positions. But that, look, we're all called to be watchful because we all have our own walk in this life with the Lord. We are all called to walk out our own salvation with reverence and understanding, if you will, will or fear and trembling. And, you know, it's a healthy reverence, a healthy respect we have for God 
to live according to his commandments and according to what he commands us to do. If God puts you in a leadership position, you are not to abuse that position. If he puts you in any sort of role in which you are the head of a you know, group of people, for example, you're to be exemplary. And obviously, one exemplary element of a personality would be being watchful, following the, the commandments of the Lord, and knowing that Jesus could return. Literally, we are looking for this second coming of Christ. So you want to be in a good position when he does return. The last thing you want to do, again, is to be living according to the flesh and not um, walking out the purposes that God has in the spirit for your life. Because, I mean, I, I'm i going to look into the whole idea of, quote unquote, losing your salvation, because I that's something that God's put on my heart recently to kind of look into and dig into and address. But, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, there's definitely... Some verses, I mean, I believe a true conversion, again, is evidenced by the fruit of someone's life, for example. Um, You know, when you're truly converted and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, then, um, you know, I believe that it's that simple. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit and you're converted. But, you know, we see a lot of people around these days, a lot of people calling themselves Christians and not living anything close to a Christian life. Um, this whole emergent church thing that's coming up right now, that's just just straight blasphemy all over the place. Um, you know, people that call themselves Christians engaging in literal occultic practices. There's literally um, women out there. there. There's this one specifically, I won't mention her name, but she calls herself a Christian witch and practices dark magic and occultism, yet somehow she calls herself a Christian. So we're living in some really odd times and some dark days. I mean, again, at least at least back in the day, people would just be, they're a witch. But I mean, the fact that they're, the people these days are trying to merge Christianity with all of these different beliefs, it's just, it's the emergent church. Again, it comes down to that universalism. It comes down to that people thinking that, you know, all roads lead to God, all that, you know, those false teachings. Um, There's nothing biblical about that. None of that is true. That's all false teaching. Again, if universalism was true, then what was the point of Jesus Christ coming here, dying on a cross um, and shedding his blood, living the perfect life? Um, that, That would totally negate everything Jesus did if there was any other way to the Father or into heaven. And there is not. There is one way. There's one mediator between man and God. There's one gospel. There's one word of God. And we are called to live out that that purpose and live out those things and to seek the Lord, the one true God, who is the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father. And, um, you know, capital L-O-R-D. That's it. There's no room for any discussion there. And anyone that tells you there is and calls himself a Christian They are lying to you. They're preaching a false gospel. And, you know, there have been liars and people preaching false gospels since Jesus was here, literally. I mean, look at the letters in um, 1 Peter. Look at the letters in 1 John. Um, Staunch warnings against antichrists living back then. And 
the spirit, you know, the Antichrist, I believe, is, oof, man, he's he's really <laughs> the, the ground of, around the world is very fertile for his his rise and his emergence eventually. But um, or sooner than rather than later, I'll say. But there has been the spirit of the Antichrist has been around since Jesus ascended into heaven. And that's basically simply, you know, false teachings of usually of people that started out in the church and then they branched off and got into strange ways, strange theological beliefs until they're, you know, they have this conflict within themselves of what they know, the truth that they know in Christianity and then their own false beliefs and false life experiences that they want to try to merge together. And that's where you get a lot of this antichrist type of thing. Um, but, you know, and that's how you come up with people calling themselves Christian witches and things like that, which, wow, I mean, it's quite, quite some interesting times. But let's get into 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 next. And um, again, we're looking at this idea of what is the will of God. So, you know, we can personalize it and say, what's the will of God for my life? But really... Throughout the Bible, the will of God is clearly defined. And, you know, if you stick to what the Bible tells you to do and not do, you will find the will of God for your life. Um, you know, there's also I understand there's questions as far as, you know, um, uh, maybe relocating somewhere or who to marry um, again. But all these questions can really be answered. I mean, like, you know, obviously, when it comes to marriage and, and relationships, um, a man and a woman, you know, they, they want to choose their partner based on, you know, is that person a Christian? Good, good place to start and then go from there. Um, but as far as like relocating, things like that, you'll have guidance. You know, there's nothing wrong with bringing that up. Put that on a prayer chain. Ask some elders in your church. Pray about it, you know. And look, uh, of what I've seen in my own personal experience and, and God's will for my life is typically God's will is – pretty easy to have peace in your spirit. You know, if you, if you're thinking of doing something or making some the major life change and you don't have peace within yourself about it, there's a good chance that that's probably not God's will. And that's probably something you don't want to do. So, um, you know, there's a certain great confirmation that we have within our spirit because we're full of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, again, it's, it's if you want to call it a gut feeling, if you will, there's there's gut feelings we have that typically that gut feeling is the initial feeling we have. And it's typically the right feeling and, and the right decision. So um, I know there's definitely look, there's there's a lot of questions that come up in life in all areas of life. And we all if we truly know and love the Lord, we want to do God's will in every area of our life. But you know, the Bible, again, clearly lays out throughout the Bible uh, easy ways to identify God's will versus what his will would not be and what his will would be. So um, let's look next here at First John, again, chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. 
but he who does the will of God abides forever. So that's some pretty good stuff right there. Let's look at the notes here for John chapter 2, verse 15. The world does not refer to the physical creation, but to the sphere of evil operating in our world under the dominion of Satan. So again, right there, you can kind of, if we kind of go backwards and start from the end of that, where it says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Before that, um, John clearly lays out what you don't do if you're in or seeking the will of God. You do not love the world or the things in the world, because if you love the world, and that's again, this fallen world system, then the love of the Father is not in that person. And that's easy to identify. I mean, look, you can hang out, be around somebody and quickly get to know their personalities, what they like, what they don't like, what they do, what they don't do. And again, the fruit of someone's life, what they engage in, what they partake in, uh, you know, it's pretty evident if they are in love with the world or if they're in love with God. Unfortunately, a large majority of people are in love with the world, and that's just the reality of life. Um, you know, I personally believe that there are many people who have died and gone to heaven um, and will rule and reign with the Lord um, one day. If you look at the size, for example, of the New Jerusalem, um, it's a big, basically, you know, there's dimensions laid out, but it's a huge square essentially. And, you know, the size of that space in itself is almost, I'd say, uh, two thirds the size of America, just to give you a rough idea. So just that size in itself, that, that can hold a lot of people. So I do believe that there have been plenty of people that have loved God and have fulfilled his will and have joined him and will join him in heaven and roll and reign in the new Jerusalem after this world and this, this earth and this heaven pass away. But, um, and all things are made new, which is such a glorious thing to think about. But, um, you know, I do believe there's also a large segment of people that, and you can look around at just the evil that's in the world and, and the agents of evil, if you will, that, you know, the murderers, the criminals, the fornicators, the um, adulterers, the I mean, we can go on and on. I mean, it's all around us. It's in our faces everywhere at this point. It's really hard to avoid. And, and it's it's really disheartening sometimes. But what we're going to look at next here is uh, the truth in action section at the end of First John. Again, this is in my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, and it's a very insightful little passage here that I think really helps to address some of, um, again, what the will of God is. So, living in the world without partaking of the Spirit of the world is the Christian's call. When the Spirit of God reveals to us the true spiritual poverty in which the world exists— it becomes easier to overcome the lures seeking to attract us back into that condition. When we understand the fullness of our inheritance in Christ, the world's offer seems poor indeed. 
quickly stopping there. And again, that goes back to my recent experience with just having things put in front of me that, you know, frankly, you know, it's, it's things that could have been done and maybe nobody except myself and the people involved would have known about. But at the same time, I just know that it's empty. And I thank God at this point, I can humbly say that I know the riches of Christ and I know the depravity of the things of this world. And fortunately, I was strong enough and God actually, you know, God's amazing because when I had this opportunity presented to me, I literally, as much as my flesh just wanted to jump at the opportunity, I fell on my knees. I said, God, you know, close this door, blah, 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 blah. And sure enough, miraculously, he did close the door and I was given a second chance to do the right thing. And fortunately, since I made that conscious choice to live in the spirit and go by the spirit and not in the flesh, the, it's just amazing how God will bless those small decisions. And I, I'm humbled. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just really blown away at how faithful God is. And, you know, he loves us because we loved him first. You know, I, I am nothing special. I'm a fool. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just a, a person. I, I, man, I could tell you my past failures are the only reason why I can simply say, I don't want to experience those things anymore. And, um, I'm really grateful that God gave me, he closed that door and he gave me a second chance to truly stand up for my beliefs, to not compromise my beliefs and to truly, um, lovingly, you know, um, turn those, those opportunities and those decisions and, and turn those things away. And, uh, again, it's, it's when we, it's just the fact that I have failed so much in the past that I know the emptiness of it, that I now know how rich and good and faithful the Lord is that I just want to choose him. I want to choose his ways. And, um, it's not always easy, but I'll tell you, it's definitely the right decision always in the end. And um, I, I can I can humbly and happily do this podcast and this episode and do it in truth and in light and not have anything in the darkness because thankfully I just know I want those dark times and those dark things and those dark days behind me because I see the emptiness in them and I can just look forward and stay focused on the Lord, the straight and narrow path that is right before me straight to him. And I can continue to run this race. And, um, I really thank God for that. Um, so picking up there at this again, truth in action section two at the end of first John in my spiritual life, new King James version Bible. When we truly set our affection on God, the lusts of the flesh are reduced as a problem. Unlike Lot's wife, who regretted the loss of the world, let us look ahead to the glorious hope of love, life, and light, where God rules eternally. Amen. Again, it's just confirming what I just said. I mean, and um, I can say truthfully that, trust me, choose the right righteous path. Let those old things fall by the wayside. 
You already know how empty they are. You already know it's not the will of God because it's contradictory to things in his word. So don't try to hold on to them. Be glad and happy that God has given you an opportunity to not compromise. Stand up for what God has done for you and shown you. Because remember, we're not our own anymore. We are slaves and bondservants to the Lord Jesus Christ, bought with his blood, purchased. We are purchased. So the lives we lead, the lives we have are not our own. This time on this earth, it's not our time. It's his time to use us. So submit and let him use you. <laughs> that You want to know the will of God? Boom. Are you, is, I hope the picture is starting to become clear right now to see what the will of God is. It's a lot simpler than, you know, it's nothing all that deep. It's really the conscious choices we make every day. Those, again, I recently described this to somebody, uh, you know, just painting a quick picture of what I think life is. And, you know, it's like a TV, like a television these days. We all have digital TVs, 4K, 8K, whatever you have. Um, well, each of those televisions are made up. That 4K means 4,000 DPI, whatever, 4,000 um, uh, digital uh, points on the screen per square inch, I believe it is. Digital point inch, digital point inch. I, I forget what it is exactly. But point being this, each one of those little dots makes up the entire picture. And each little decision we make day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, comprise what our life is. So the quicker we learn how to avoid the things of the flesh and avoid and make conscious good decisions to live in the spirit and call on God. Again, look, none of this is possible without first realizing that we are weak, but we are, but the spirit of God in us is our strength. And where we are weak, he is made perfect and strong. So again, it's all about relying fully, submitting every area of your life to God. And then you will experience those blessings that the goodness of God will pour out on you just for simply obeying him and for saying, God, I can't do this. You take the wheel, you take the helm, whatever you want to call it. And um, he will, he'll strengthen you. He will guide you in the right directions and he will show you his will. But again, it's clear. Well, there's basic things we know as the will of God. One thing, one quick check is, does it align with the word of God or does it misalign with the word of God. If it's something that the word of God says you shouldn't do, then hello, don't do it. It's that simple. 